to Simpler. We are three pastors, husbands, and fathers on a journey to make life simpler by holding Jesus as the core for every belief and practice. This journey has shaped us to be more like Christ, freed us from the shame of failure, and encouraged us to a deeper love of our Lord and God. We invite you to join us in the discussions that have shaped and continue to shape our lives. Mm-hmm. Riker, Riker's really picky about the meat that he'll eat. Mm-hmm. But that boy puts away steak, and that boy puts away fried venison. Man, like oh, really, it's got yeah. expensive taste. It's just well, he they're it's good, man. It is good. Yeah. <laughs> How are you frying the venison? I do a chicken fry. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah, then yeah, I, yeah. and then do a make a gravy out of it and stuff too. Do you soak it in milk? Yeah, so it makes t- makes it more tender. I, mm-hmm. I, think I just back, can't do it. I think back to my uh, Chick Fil A days and kind of the milk wash that we used mm-hmm. to do the chicken in, mm-hmm. and I would do something similar to that with the milk and the flour. And oh, like like soak it. Like uh, sorry, I've heard some people like I, I don't almost soak like a, it for a long time. Almost like a marinade. I've heard some people do really? that. Say so it tenderizes it. Yeah, oh, that's cool. No, I just I. The pieces that I've had the last few times have been pretty tender, but I also have my big mallet with the little teeth on it, that, mm-hmm. and I just always just tenderize it first. Mm-hmm. But like steak and eggs, like my boys will eat the heck out of steak and eggs. And so uh, we had somebody that just recently gave us some steak, and the boys, like one of our favorite meals to do now is a rice bowl. And so we do white jasmine rice, our protein, which is usually steak or a sausage or something like that. And then... Uh, cheese and that's all Riker will eat and mm-hmm. then Asher wants avocado and onion on his and then I'll usually do some mushrooms on mine as well and so like everybody kind of gets to fix it the way they want mm-hmm. but we could eat a steak rice bowl every night almost and be happy because yeah, yeah. and it's very light you don't mm-hmm. feel heavy afterwards you like quinoa? I don't know that I've ever had it I really like quinoa I think because it doesn't have a whole lot of flavor yeah so you get so you texture can, you can do a lot yep. with it but it soaks up the flavor of whatever mm-hmm. you're mm. nice and All it's right, like we, we gotta get started. <laughs> we Man, gotta get started. I'm gonna cook a brisket this week. I'm oh. joking. <laughs> I, I love how much you've done with your Traeger oh, over I, the last three years. I haven't even like. I feel like I haven't even scratched the surface yeah. of things yet. Aiden wants to do burn-ins mm. soon. Mm. So, are you hungry out there listening? <laughs> <laughs> Comment the last thing you ate or cooked. Uh, let's go on over the PCC, everybody. Come on over to Pierce's Culture Corner. Food? I am. A lot hungrier than I was when we first started. <laughs> I know my mouth is salivating. Uh, so I it's got it's not just the plantains. I got sent this post on Instagram a while back, uh, and I, I it kind of got buried in my notes folder of just like, things I wanted to talk about. So I forget exactly how old this story is. I can't even remember exactly when what they were talking about happened. But uh, Cosmopolitan made a post about the Satanic Temple's uh, abortion clinic that is in New Mexico, and it's named. I didn't really get the joke. Actually, I guess I do. Okay, never mind. It's named Samuel Al, uh, Samuel Alito's mom's satanic abortion clinic. Oh, wow. And I think Samuel, I don't know if he's saying his last name right, Alito, Alito. I think he was one of the Supreme Court justices who pushed for the, the death of, of Roe versus Wade uh, or revoking Roe versus Wade, however you would phrase that. And so I think what some of the, the, the joke they were trying to make is like, well, your mom had some of these freedoms. Imagine if those were stripped away from her. And so like they're naming after her mom, his mom, which is also I feel like really backhanded of like, well, your mom was your mom could have been able to abort you and didn't like type of stuff, which just I don't I don't like the whole thing altogether. Or you could just respond by saying. Your mom. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but one of the things that I thought was, was, was like flabbergasting about this, which I get magazines and companies, they run off of clickbait. They definitely run off of that. So I get the financial side of it, but like, as far as the post is concerned and this article on their website's concerned, like they spent good time to like make graphics for this to like, they had like a phone that had a pentagram in the middle of it. They had a, they had another, uh, they had all these moving graphics that turned all the T's upside down and upside down crosses and like all these different things that they were doing. Like I, so first of all, I just hated that aspect of it, of, of very much glorifying, like very obviously glorifying Satan. And so like, and I know like we live in a broken world. We live in a sinful world. I know that this stuff is going to happen, but it's just like, this is the stuff that seemingly people want to read about and click on and be involved in. And so so some of the reasons why this, this, uh, um, 
excuse me, this abortion clinic was born was was they were fighting against some of the abortion bans after the revoking of Roe versus Wade. And they, one of the things they clinged on to was religious freedom. And so they said like, you basically, you can come get an abortion here because we're doing this under religious act, not under, uh, not under anything else. Like, so this is a religious act of you doing, and you can either partake in the ritual that we're doing or that we, that we give you guidelines to, or you can just do it however you want to do it. And which is interesting. One thing that I want to clarify between the Satanist religions is there is an aspect of, I don't know if they'd call it Satanism, but there is actually worshiping Satan. Like there is actually pursuing Satan. And then there's the satanic temple. And what they say is they use, they use Satan as more of a mascot to pursue self is mm-hmm. how they, they promote. Yeah, yeah. So like, they're not they've actually, actually said, even though they are, they've actually said we don't worship Satan. Exactly. Yeah. Which yeah, they, they definitely are, but they use him as a guideline for inclusivity and love, mm-hmm. which, which is, yes, <laughs> it's, which, you're giving it's that's one thing that as, there's so respond. much to talk about with this and have y'all seen I, I was going to talk about this sometime in the future did y'all see that that amazon prime show that's out I forget what it's called it's something motel and mm. it, it's basically doing that so the they cartoon yeah the cartoon mm. so it's like they they tell this they tell the story of adam and lilith have y'all heard that mythology yeah. yeah and then talk about how lilith was banished from the garden so they had to get a submissive woman to come in like eve and lilith was lilith teamed up with satan and the way that they portrayed i saw this this was a promo commercial this wasn't even the show this was a commercial that came on and I was like, what in the world are they talking about? And they talked about how, how Lilith and Satan teamed up to, to give humanity true freedom, to give humanity true inclusivity. To give, and the way that they had Satan personified was this, was this really happy, smiley man with a hat. It felt very like gestury and very like Willy Wonka-esque of like wonder. And it's just, man, the, the painting of these pictures of just pure evil like, and how this is something that should be pursued. And they're, they're tacking on religious language, which... I mean, I guess it's been happening for a long time, but my my eyes are being open to it now of just like people are really ex- readily accepting and adopting this sem- seemingly this, this, this type of religious language for inclusivity for, from their perspective, like positive things. And it's just, it's so crazy how black and white this is now. Like, I feel like yeah. we can talk, we can talk every day about like the ins and outs of politicians decisions and, and businesses decisions and how it feels a lot more maniacal and a lot more manipulative than, than they're letting on This is just straight up here. Satan, like yeah. it's feels so it's been moving that way here. Yeah. More recently. And it's like, it's just more blatant. I, don't, I mean, I, th- yeah. I, I think sometimes we forget that our culture has a um, sensitivity to this because we are a culture in the United States that was was kind of founded on some Judeo-Christian morals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this was not, this has not been okay in our culture yeah. for a long time. And I think it's what we're seeing now is like the it's, breakdown of the culture, mm-hmm. you're seeing it because now it's like just blatant, like yeah. Satan's just in everything. Mm-hmm. And in my, it's weird because I'm like torn of like, excuse me, to want to like lash out against it, but also be like, man, if if we can if we're more able to fully expose the evil, I guess like there's, that's a good thing of like, this is how evil the world like actually is, is how evil, like pursuing, um, pursuing sin and self, all the different language. Like, um, that's how depraved man actually is apart from Christ. And so like the fact that it's becoming more black and white, more apparent, there's part of me that's like, man, we can really utilize this for the gospel and be like, look at how depraved this is. But then there's another aspect just like how my, like my personality, like my heart breaks for these people that are like leaning into these things that like, like one of the women that they interviewed, she had no idea. She just needed, she, um, from her perspective, she just needed an abortion. So she was trying to figure out where's the ones closest to me, how, what can I afford? What can I do? And she said, for them, the price was right. I was able to get the medication. Shipped to my home. That's how she the said. The price is right. And yeah, the price, price is, is wrong. wrong Bob. Bob. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and she she had a pleasant experience, customer service wise, that led her to partaking in the ritualistic aspect of it. And like from her perspective, like they included me, they treated me well, they did all these things. And there, there's it's it's I obviously haven't formulated so much of my thoughts on it. I just know that I'm appalled in a sense, and just like how people are so readily to be a part of it. And again, this isn't the aspect of like. I've heard stories from ex satanic priests, like legit that are, that are offering sacrifices and doing the things that are way more like quote unquote religious by nature of like, of, of sacrificial acts and stuff. When they, those people who are actually serving, serving Satan as a deity 
are they would use abortions as a means of like actual sacrifices yeah. and and they would take um they would take unborn fetuses out and utilize them on sacrificial for like there's there's sickening stories out there of these people that that praise Jesus have Christ has redeemed and pulled them out of that but they tell the truth of what happened in those situations so it's not like that type of ritual in this abortion clinic it's not what you might think as far as a sacrifice sacrificial ritual is concerned it just it it, it involves quotes that they can uh read out loud one of them is uh as they partake in the abortion they have a mirror facing them and they say one's body is in inviolable subject to one's own will and then they partake in some of the medication or whatever the next step is and then it says beliefs this was what i thought was interesting beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world one should take care to never distort scientific facts to fit one's beliefs, which I think is really funny in regards to understanding what life is, like <laughs> just the scientific definition of life. But because you believe this is compatible, you're actually bending the scientific definition of what life is to fit this. So way backwards, way misunderstanding. And then at the very end of it, uh, you recite a personal affirmation my, by my body, my blood, and by my will, it is done. Mm. And just, it's so just sickening and sad and heart-wrenching and uh and they have they have different attorneys that where they're trying to expand into idaho and indiana as well they have different attorneys there's a lot of legal issues with them new mexico seem to be a lot more willing to adopt it in because they were one of the few i forget the terminology that they used but like texas is is very pro-life and i think that the, what they were saying is with with texas being so close t- texas being a neighboring state and i forget what the other neighboring state oklahoma um they said they wanted to be like a refuge for mm-hmm. uh for people seeking this type of, of care from their perspective but being able to expand they're needing to bring on a lawyer and there's a lawyer who specializes in unique solutions for unique problems and I'll just read this quote to you from the article. He says, he pulls a lot of creative constitutional levers in his legal filings. There's the taking clause of the Fifth Amendment in which he says, could be interpreted to classify the uterus as a private property that comes with a natural set of ownership rights, including the right to not be snatched away by uninvited fetus without consent or compensation. Then there's the prohibition of involuntary servitude clause in the 13th Amendment that uh, MacNaughton is the name of the lawyer, which MacNaughton uses to describe the occupancy of a uterus by an unwanted, quote unquote, prenatal person, forcing the uterus's owner to render services. Wait, wait, wait. Is he acknowledging his Yeah, person? dude. With both of those, right? Like someone occupying a property and someone with an unwanted prenatal person. You are a freaking person. idiot. You dude, just acknowledge it's a person. Yes, exactly. So like manipulating certain certain laws and certain rules certain amendments certain clauses certain things. You but in the midst of it throwing away like what they quote unquote are standing for like it's this isn't a, it's man this i don't know how much of a hold this specific group has on it pro-choice doesn't. whatever like i don't it really doesn't. know but this is a an aspect of it a part of it where they're showing like it's not about it's not about defending or defining life it's about it's about self. That's exactly what they're yeah. promoting. It's about self, regardless of how, I mean, I, I, I've said this before in regards to certain talks about abortion, but there's a podcast I listened to back in the day. And this guy was a pretty, by definition, a pretty liberal Christian, but he stopped, he's, he was discussing abortion. He said, man, he just kind of stopped for a second. He goes, I know that in history, people are going to look back at us in disdain and disgust mm-hmm. because we are people who, who we, we were part of a culture who blatantly killed their children yep. whenever we were all around the world. Like that's, that's such a, a point to life. Mm-hmm a point to, to, to fruit of a, of a culture and of a society is, is having children, having the ability to have children. And when you're barren, it is something that you mourn and that you weep for, but we are willingly slaughtering children. Like how ridiculous is it? Um, so anyway, I know, I know I've I've gone on a long time. I apologize for that, but, um, I don't have a way to end that happy note. It's Mm -hmm. just, I think that it's, I'm sick of it, but I also, um, come Jesus come Mm -hmm. like for real, Ryan, what are we talking about today, man? Well, today we are going to talk about love, kind of the third part of what we've been discussing the last couple of weeks. Uh, From 1 Corinthians 13, these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And we want to uh, delve into what the scripture says about the love that comes from God. But Ryan, isn't love just what people want it to be? Well, actually, Pierce, no, it's not. I know. (laughs) When are you ever going to get this right? (laughs) We're like on episode 159 or something, and you still can't get this right. Wait, Uh, you don't know specifically what episode we're on? I I do. (laughs) Is it 159? (laughs) No, it's 
It's one fifty-eight. Oh, okay. I but was, you're but you said it like one fifty-nine. I know. <laughs> but I love how he tries to make it seem like he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> so I was playing it off. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. I'm just like you guys. <laughs> Let me just make a guess real quick. I didn't. I didn't want to be super precise. Yeah. <laughs> you know? don't want to be pretentious over here. <laughs> so. Uh, I, I've really struggled with numbering it because we didn't ever count our Christmas episode as one of the episodes. True, yeah, yeah. So if you count the Christmas episode, then it is 159. <laughs> and so all of that weighs into my thinking on it. Yeah. yeah. So anyhow, uh, <laughs> thanks for making fun of me. I appreciate it. <laughs> is it getting hot in here or am I just hungry? Uh, yeah, so we're going we're gonna to talk about love. It's It's interesting because... I have in a lot of years of ministry, there are a lot of people who, and we've talked about this from different cultural perspectives, but there are people who will insist that they love someone else and then do things that are very contrary to what we would call biblical love. And so one of the things that we have to acknowledge is that morally speaking, culturally speaking, there is not a perspective there, there is not a cultural standard for what love is. Mm-hmm. We cannot culturally define love because no one's going to agree on it. Um, and all sorts of different people feel all sorts of different ways about it. And there are people who, from a moral perspective, um, I've had this discussion recently with a guy who's been messaging into Simpler Bible, but it, there, are, there are people who believe it's love and they're cheating on their wives or they're abusive to their wives or abusive mm-hmm. to their kids or whatever. And they'd say, no, 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 but I love them. And you'd be like, well, based on what standard, what's, yeah. what's your standard for that? And, and so people all the time default to, oh, no, no, but I really love them. And then when pressed on it, go, okay, well, what standard are you using? Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, what they boil down to is, well, I, I just, I know that I love them. That's the typical answer that I get, the typical response. Well, I know that I love them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, but based on what? And then usually I'll say something along the lines of, so if your daughter grows up and gets married one day, do you hope that she marries a man who loves her the same way you love your wife now? And mm-hmm. they go, no, no, no. Like, I don't, I don't want to. And I'm like, okay, so there's a different standard somewhere. <laughs> and, and so... The, the problem with trying to affix a cultural standard to love is that it's impossible because you cannot get everyone on the planet to agree about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just can't. And you might, get, you might get a group of people or a vocal group of people to have an agreement about mm-hmm. it, but there's not ever going to be a standard. Yeah. And there are people who would argue for free love. And then they would say, well, except for in this case or except for in that case, well, that's wicked. Well, you should go to jail for that. And so... What we have to do as Christians is we have to acknowledge that because God, and this was the question that I was posed the other day, he, he said, what makes you believe that God should be the moral standard? And he goes, uh, he said, I don't think that God is a moral standard. I don't think that God can be a moral standard. And I said, well, then you have to acknowledge that you are your own moral standard mm-hmm. because, because all of us who have any kind of moral code, it comes from somewhere. And for most of us, it's a definition of our own kind of upbringing, our own culture, our own experiences. But we would have to be, if we're going to be honest, we'd have to say, well, this is my, this is my standard. If God is, (laughs) let me say it differently. Since God exists Mm -hmm. and since God is creator of all things, he has to be the ultimate standard for what is right. And therefore has to be the ultimate standard for what is love. And, and so when we as Christians look at love, this the text that I referenced earlier comes from 1 Corinthians 13, which in, in verse 4 says, first of all, 1 Corinthians 13 is dealing with spiritual gifts. It's not a text on marriage, even though most of us have probably heard it in weddings. But in 1 Corinthians 12, he's been talking about spiritual gifts and how they're used within the body. And then he begins 1 Corinthians 13 saying, if you have uh, the gift of tongues, if you know all mysteries, if you deliver your body to be burned, but you don't have love, it profits nothing. It means nothing. You're a noisy gong or a clinging symbol. And then he goes on to say, love is patient. It is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not arrogant. It's not puffed up. And he gives all these things. And he says, love always hopes, it always trusts, always perseveres. Love never fails. And what the point that he's making here specifically in Corinthians, is that there are these people who are puffed up over these specific gifts that they have, primarily prophecy and speaking in tongues, and they are not using their gifts in love. And because their gifts aren't being used in love, 
their gifts are disqualified mm. and their services to, to God in the, that sense is disqualified. Mm-hmm. And so God establishes that as a standard that that anything done apart from love disqualifies the action, even if the action appears to be noble. Mm-hmm. Then the other thing that's a really weighty thing, uh, Jesus says in John 13, the last night of his life, he says to the apostles, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples, your love for one another. Mm-hmm. He's talking about the love that the believers would share for one another. And then John gives us more detail on that in the book of first John, where he says that anyone who says they love God, but does not love the brethren, does not love the fellow believer, that the love of God is not in him. Right. Because if you do not love your brother in Christ who you can see, how can you love God whom you have not seen? And so a couple of things to consider here is one, uh, Anything done apart from love is counter to who God is. And then also, as Christians, if we do something, if if we do not have a genuine love for our fellow believers in Christ, then what John would say is that you don't have the love of the Father. You're not actually like one of the one of the biggest indications that we're followers of Jesus isn't our love for the lost world, it's our love for one another in Christ. And and so we have to come to the place where our standard for love isn't based on, we've talked about this before in here, Micah, like not, uh, you've said it to me, like, it's not enough for me to try to do things better than my dad did. That's a terrible standard. The standard has to be Christ. I can't say I want to do a better job of loving my wife than my dad did loving my mom. That's a terrible standard. Although my dad sucked at loving my mother, like, my goal has to be, I want to show Michelle the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. I want to show her that she's loved by God. And, and so Christ has to be our standard for this, has to be the way we measure it. And it really begins, um, it really begins with us understanding, first of all, that we're loved by God. And if we can understand that we're loved by God, it makes it way easier for, for us to understand that other people are loved by God. Because if our perspective of ourselves is that we are loved by God because of the things we've done, then that's typically how we'll love the people around us. Mm-hmm. I love them because of the things that they've done. I don't love them as much because of the things they've failed to do. And, and if we will come to the place that we recognize that God's love for us, I, I think of Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God's love for us was first. Uh, in, in fact, in First John 4, he says, we love because he loved us first. So the context there, I used to teach that the context there was we love him, we love God because he loved us first. I really think that the immediate context of First John 4 is we love the brethren because God loved us first. So we come to the place where we understand how deeply loved we are by God, and that empowers us then to love the people around us well. Um, and, and so it's one of these things that like, I have to... I have to put some emotional distance. I don't think it's a bad thing to have an emotional connection to your family, but I, I have to put some emotional distance between me and my wife and me and my boys so that I don't view them from a personal lens, but I view them from the perspective of uh, like, I have to think of my boys first off as these are creations of God. These are people for whom Christ died. What do you mean by distance? Uh, distance is probably the wrong word. I, I just can't, I don't think it's to my advantage or to my boy's advantage for me to first think these are my kids. Um, that would only be problematic if you had the wrong perspective of love. Right. That makes sense. So my, the point that I'm trying to make, so frame it for me, fix okay. it. The point that I'm trying to make is I don't ever want to approach my kids from the standpoint of I, Ryan, am their father and they're my boys. And like, I want to approach it first as these are people for whom Christ died. Yeah. Okay. I, I see what you're saying. It's right, still problematic. It. Yeah. Good. Fix it. Because you're saying that there's two different premises you would interact with your kids on, which means that there, you're, you're there not should only be one. Right. But if you're having to, if you're having to change your relationship with your kids, then the premise is not correct. All right. Does go. that make sense? So yeah. If your premise is I'm interacting with people based on love, mm-hmm. based on how God loves me and how God loves other people, which allows me to then love, then I approach my kids from that perspective. I approach my wife from that perspective. Right. I approach other people from that perspective. Yeah. If I have to change the relationship with those people or how I think about them, then it's not actually the premise that is in place. Gotcha. That's affecting how my premise is. See what I'm saying? My premise yeah. is actually my perspective of people rather than love. Yeah. I think that's the shift is like, I understand what you're, I think you're talking about that probably from a perspective of someone who had a bad experience growing up. Yeah. 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 So, so there's emotional, maybe what you mean is I have to emotional baggage. I, well, I have to, <laughs> I think it would make sense to say like, I have to emotionally disconnect 
my perspective of love from how I was, it was shown to me growing yeah. up because what you're, I think what you're saying is you, in your mind, you have an idea, even from counseling of hearing people say, I love so-and-so and they're acting in a contrary way to that. Right. Yeah. So in your mind, it's like for you, it's almost like it convinced you that the fix for you is to view your boy, boys, view your boys differently instead of rightly. Correct. That's yeah, what I'm yeah, saying yeah. is like, if, if your premise is love, you don't change how you perceive them. Be yeah. Because you're perceiving them the correct way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of like what we talked about last week, if you have a correct view of the end times, then that will absolutely change how you live how you, now. Yeah. And so, so what, what I, okay. So let's, and from an emotional perspective, it makes sense. Yeah. I, I think what we do as people is we tend to have an emotional response to our circumstances and we tend to have a heightened emotional response when it comes to the people who are close to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So offenses seem more offensive. Totally. And, and delights seem more delightful. Mm -hmm. And I cannot allow those things to shape how I treat my family if my perspective is correct. And let me say it mm -hmm. differently. I won't allow those things to shape mm -hmm. how I treat my family if my perspective of my family is correct. That's it. That's the fix. Is like, instead of saying like, I, I can't let that happen. It won't happen. It, because if it happens, then you go, you know what? I'm not viewing. My perspective is off. I'm not viewing people in general from the perspective okay. of love. So then we can use that as a litmus test for whether or not we're loving people according to the things uh -huh. of Christ. Uh -huh. I'll tell you another problem I think that you, we could run into yeah, from go. that other perspective is that a, a lot of times we define what that, what loving other people looks like. Right. And so like, well, I, I mean, I'm saying this from personal experience. People often tell me you're not very loving. Yeah. Well, the, the, was it this time you gave the example of the guy in the college who was sharing the gospel with people and the lady that was a Christian came up? Or was that last episode? I don't know what you're talking about. There's the story about the guy who's sharing the gospel on college campuses and, and this Christian lady oh, came yeah, up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was maybe so she, two. She, okay, yeah. sorry. I haven't eaten in a while. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, an, fingers, that's an example of the lady who's probably saying to him, like, you're not being you're not loving, loving to these right, people, right, but right. he very much was. So like, Because he think, wanted them to know Christ. Right. So culturally, yeah. we have an idea of love, and we oftentimes let that be the basis for how we like yeah. judge other people's love sure. instead of saying the, the premise for how I view love has to be God. Right. Period. Right. Like, I think you could, if it's a Western cultural perspective of love, we would say God was not very loving to the Israelites. Right. Man, you put them in slavery to start, and then you, when they did disobeyed you, you put them in slavery in Babylon. You know, it's just like, yeah. come on, God. Like we would say, he's not very loving, but in in the story, like God is love. This is right. he had a purpose for his people, and he was disciplining his people to bring them to a place where they would right. represent. And him. Hebrews and Hebrews twelve, he only disciplines those he, he loves. loves. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we can't put our and maybe to to make it a more practical example, we can't put our emotional tendencies right as the filter for love there you go yeah and and i think that people in general find that more difficult to do with the people they share the roof with you know the people under their roof uh yeah because sometimes being loving to people that you're close with is not is not like a cultural viewpoint of love yeah mm -hmm. yeah and sometimes and i don't even just mean it being a and being mean or being like upfront or brutal I mean, I mean like even in a sense of like um like not being a pushover, but um, sure. letting people, there's a lot of times, I'll say this personal experience. There's a lot of times when I let people do stuff that, or say things that I have to just let go. Yeah. Because I know that the most benefit for them in that moment is not for me to like fix what they said or confront it, but like it's, yeah. it's a growth process. Yeah. I love this person. So I'm going to do whatever's best for them in the moment for them to be at a place where they can, enjoy and honor Jesus with their life. Right. So sometimes that means I confront it. Sometimes that means I let it go. That's what yeah. I mean is like the premise is love. The premise right. isn't, here's a good litmus test. If I'm so bothered by that person, that means it's not about love. It's about me. Sure. So yeah. I think you could say that in relationships, let's just say marriages. A lot of times the reason people are so bothered in marriages is because their marriage is actually about them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not about love. Yeah. And, and how, and your expectations of what that person should do yeah. or how that person should accommodate you yep. or yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because if you actually, we've talked about this before when we used to do uh marriage. redeeming marriage, yeah, yeah. uh, marriage conferences, like your perspective as a spouse, as a believing spouse is that my entire goal is to like love the other person like Christ Yep. in, in terms of like how I treat them. Yeah. 
without any sense, I mean, there's some caveat, I think, to this, but without any sense of how they respond to Reciprocity, me. Reciprocity, yeah. Right. The reason I say there's not, there has to be some caveats is like if it's a wife and then your husband's punching you in the face all day, I think there's, yeah. <laughs> you, you should leave. probably leave. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you're like trying to reconcile the marriage later, like you yeah, got to get out leave. now. But I'm saying like most excluding the extreme examples, most people's struggle in marriage is that they have a perspective emotionally of what they're supposed to get yeah. in that relationship. And when that's not met, something yeah. feels like it's wrong. Or you could say, I'm going to love this person in the same way God does. Yeah. And that means I'm going to love them in spite of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, th the moment you're expecting a return for your love, it is not the love that God has modeled for us. Yeah. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. So it has to, for it to be the love of God, it cannot expect return. Um, and, and what we see from the love of God is that it, it has an impact and it does shape those people who succumb to it. And mm -hmm. I mean, succumb to it. Like mm -hmm. I think of Hosea chapter two, mm -hmm. where he's talking of Israel as being this adulterous wife. And he says, I hedged up your way with thorns. Mm -hmm. He goes, I blocked your path. He goes, I kept you from pursuing all your other lovers. And then, and, and, uh, I stripped from you all the oil and of gladness and all these other things. And he goes, so that you would return to me. And so that I could woo you and speak tenderly to you and speak kindly to you and draw you back to myself. And he said, so that you would no longer call me my master, but that you would begin to call me my husband. Mm -hmm. And, and so he, God is speaking of adulterous Israel from the perspective of, look, I, I blocked all of your avenues to these other things that were detracting and moving you away from me. And I hedged up your way with thorns so that I was your only option so that you would come to me and so that you would see my tenderness and my love for you. And, and Israel, what does Israel do with that? Every time they come back, they, they're unfaithful again. Yeah. Like Israel today is still that unfaithful yeah. bride. And, and yet God is unchanging in his love. Yeah. And, and so again, None of us sitting at this table would argue like some pastors probably did in the 80s and 90s and would say to the woman who's being beaten by her husband, well, you just got to go home and, and do the best you can. Like, that's stupid. That is mm -hmm. terrible counsel. That is wicked counsel. <laughs> like, yeah. get yourself and the kids out of that situation. Mm -hmm. Be safe. Um, but the, the marriage that's just unhappy, it's just yeah. unhappy. I always, when, when a couple comes to me and usually it's just one person who comes to me and says, will you help us in our marriage? I always ask, is the other person interested in help too? And sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes it's no. And I always say, look, so long as one person is interested in doing things the way Christ has done it, there's a chance. Mm -hmm. It goes way up if both of you are interested in right, doing it the right. way that Christ wants to do it. But so long as one person will love their spouse like Christ, love the church, um, or, I mean, that's the husband's role, sure. but like, but like, so long as one person, like th the love of God is transformative, Yeah. but it's not, it's not the love of God. If the things we're doing, we're really doing out of manipulation, mm -hmm. out of a sense of mm -hmm. trying to get a desired or elicit a desired response. Yeah. Yep. And I think sometimes people forget that like the love of God is stronger than our love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like that. Cause I'll, I'll hear people talk about, um, how hopeless their situation feels. Yeah. As if, as if the love of God let into a relationship, let into specifically, or like we're talking about a marriage mm -hmm. can't like overtake everything yeah. that's happened. Like, well, yeah. I've, I've got so many years of like bad stuff. Okay. Well, you're saying that God, you suck and you're not powerful enough and loving enough to like fix this. Yeah. As it, I mean, it's the same thing as when people are like, uh, like, how could Jesus love me? Yeah. I've done all these mm -hmm. things. Well, Jesus, you're not good enough, right? Well, Your blood it, doesn't cover. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's take it outside of marriage for a minute. Let's think about from this perspective, like we three are pastors, we're elders of a church. And as our church grows, there will be more and more opportunities where we will see people do things that are not in step with the gospel, that are in sin. And what, what I think has often been kind of the Western response to that is, um, hey, you're not allowed to come to the church anymore. You're a terrible sinner. And you've done like, that's been our response rather than like, not our response, but the church's kind of response mm -hmm. as a whole, rather than, hey, look, let me, let me show you who God is. Let me remind you who you are in Christ. Like to come at it from the perspective of like letting the love of God be the thing that transforms them. Yeah. Right. And, and so like, we're so quick. I, I've heard it multiple times uh, from people who are divorced, who say, I don't feel like I fit in a church because I feel like every church that I have attended, 
I'm less than because I'm divorced. And and I don't I hope that people don't feel that way at the 456. I don't think that they do. I had I had somebody recently tell me like um this past year has been really a challenge and and they said but I have always felt safe and loved at the 456. Cool. And and so that's our hope. Like yeah. look, we we don't have to agree with the decisions you make to still love you yeah. and to still show you and lavish on you the love of God. And I think that what the church has sought to do more often than not is be the disciplinarian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we misappropriate uh, Matthew 18. Matthew yeah. 18 is not church discipline. I think we make every issue of 1 Corinthians 5 issue where a father and a son are sharing a wife and we rebuke them and cast them out of the church. And, and like, I think there's a lot of steps before that, (laughs) you know, like, Hey, let's talk to you and let's figure out what's going on and how can we help you? And what do we, you know, um, look, I'm not saying that there's never going to be a case where we need to step in immediately and go, look, we can't have you here next Sunday. That might happen, but we've done it. We've Mm -hmm. done it. But, but I think that they're extreme scenarios, extreme. And that's, that's the point that like first Corinthians five is not the, is not not the norm, the norm of a person who's struggling with a sin or no. whatever. Um, somebody asked me recently, it was a great question. They said, what would you, what would you do if there was somebody in leadership who was struggling with a certain sin, like, or somebody, you know, and I said, well, what do you mean by leadership? And they said, well, maybe not leadership, but like, what if they're a greeter or what if they're helping pass out the Lord's supper or what mm-hmm. if they're working in the nursery? I said, it would totally depend on what the sin was and who the person was. Yeah. Like it, if you cheated on your wife and you're part of our security team, I'm not going to remove you from our security team. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we're going to have some talks. Yeah. yeah. Well, unless unless you're flirting with the women as they come in the door. Right. Yeah. So like that's what I was it's, saying. It's wisdom. It's it, situational. It, I said it just depends. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so you so, can't have a. I think you could have like a baseline of like here's expectations for people. Yeah. But like you can't make a universal rule. No. For those and things. but it's a great thing to think about. And that's what they were wondering is like, how do we handle as a church? How do we handle those kinds of things? And I was like, I'm not going to remove somebody from uh, a position at the coffee bar because they're in sin. I, I said, however, I said it would be different if it was me. Yeah. If it was me, Pierce a, and Micah would, would remove me yeah, and yeah. they would say, look, we'll, we'll walk through you with yeah. this, uh, walk with you through this. And if I was humble enough to take that, mm-hmm. then y'all would walk through me. And if I wasn't humble enough to take it, you'd kick me to the curb mm-hmm. and take something else. Too. Yeah. And, and I said, and I said, that would, that would be different. Yeah. If it was a small group leader, it would be handled Teachers. differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I said, so it just, it depends because our aim is to, to remind your people point is that the expectation Christ. for a long time has been that church discipline is this very structured thing. Yes. And that's a, did we do an episode on that? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. So you can go back and listen to that one if we did. But mm. like our perspective is like we, the goal as for us as pastors is that people would honor Jesus with their life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna, probably going to do whatever it takes or whatever we feel like it's going to take to get to that, that point for that person. Yeah. So, and that's going to look different in every scenario. Some scenarios, even in the midst of sin, that might be us putting our arm around that person and being like, Hey, honor Jesus with your life. Yeah. Another scenario, it literally might be kicking someone in the nuts and being like, stop being an idiot. Like, yeah. It, it could yeah. even be the same sin and it's a different reaction for the person. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like if it's, if the goal is love, the goal is not punishment. Right. And maybe we've confused that too, because of the like perspective of discipline yeah. that has been in our culture for a long yeah, time. Yeah, cultural, the cultural view of discipline is punishment, mm-hmm. which it is not that in Hebrews. In no, Hebrews, it's, it's training. Shaping, yeah. Yeah, so the word discipline in Hebrews and also in 1 Corinthians 9 is training. Mm-hmm. I am training someone and God trains those he loves. We know that it's not punishment because also in 1 John 4, he says perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Mm-hmm. And so we know that there isn't condemnation in Christ. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't like remove someone from a dangerous situation. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to call the police on you if you deserve to go to jail, but it also means that I'll show up there and help you any way that I can from that point. I'll tell you what it means. It means if there's someone who has been known for having affair after affair, after affair, even started ministries based on an affair, you don't put them in a leadership position at a church. Yeah. If that's been their entire platform, you don't put them as an interim at your church. In -hmm. in that case, for example, you're not loving the people in the church. No. Not at all. Yeah. So that, I mean, it's another extreme example. Yeah. That's a nut kicker for sure. Yeah. But I I think that that's, but we tend to view it 
from the perspective so, of punishment rather than shaping. Yeah. So yeah. we look at people who are in sin and we think, how do I punish them mm-hmm. rather than how do I shape them? Yep. Mm-hmm. We, we do that as parents to kids a lot of times. That's the culture that I grew up in. Like mm-hmm. but the first response was not, uh, was not to shape it, I'll say it this way as they, on the receiving end of it, it did not feel like the first response was to shape me into a godly it person. It was shaping your butt in it, a different form. <laughs> it felt like the first response was punishment. Yes. Yeah. And, and so maybe that's a great thought on this love conversation yeah. is if as a parent, my goal is my kid honoring Jesus and I'm approaching it from a perspective of love. Yeah. Then it's actually not, I mean, you could like, we could mince words here, but like, it's actually not punishment. It is a, um, response to them doing something with the purpose of them acting a different way. Sure. So you could call it whatever you want. I don't care. But I'm saying like, if you're going to fall in line with how the scripture t- tends to talk about discipline, yeah. the, the goal that is- It comes out of love. Yeah. It, he it's disciplines it's those born he out of love. Yeah. Right. So I actually don't have a problem with spanking. I know most millennials do, but I don't have a problem I with, hate it, man. with spanking. It is funny that it's your generation, like all of them. I feel like yeah. every single person I know is like, I don't-, I don't I'm, I'm joking to be clear. I don't, I don't yeah, mind spanking. <laughs> I, but like almost literally, <laughs> but I, but almost I know every mean, yeah. Christian millennial I know is like mm-hmm. anti-spanking maybe from a perspective correct of like how they were treated growing sure. up. Yeah. Kind of a reaction to right. Yeah, but go it doesn't all the way mean, to the other right. side of it. Maybe of, yeah. they experienced spanking, not from a perspective of love, but like uh, spanking, yeah. for example, I think you could spank and not doing it out of like anger or frustration. <laughs> yep, agreed. Do it out of love. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. You, I'm not saying everybody has a spank. I'm just saying like, I'm not anti these forms of discipline because somebody else did it badly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think yeah, you absolutely. could do you could do discipline out of love. We've talked about stuff with our kids, like mm-hmm. how how do you shape each of the kids and like I've I've never spanked Hayes, yeah, ever. I, like all I have to do is just look at Hayes and he just breaks, breaks. right? <laughs> yeah. So it's like there's no point if my if my standard was if they do something wrong I spank them, then I'm missing the point. Yeah, mm-hmm. the goal is is to shape them in love. Yeah, rather than just to like just to punish them for yeah for whatever they do. Yeah. I spanked Grayson a lot. Yeah. A whole lot. Sometimes I think I should spank him again sometimes too, but like, not really. Can you imagine sixth grader? (laughs) But like, it's, the goal is the same. It just looks two different ways with different people. It's the same thing we're talking about with dealing with sin and people at the church. Yeah. So, but it has to be from love. It cannot be from anger, frustration. No. I can think of times we we were remodeling the church. Um, and you and thought about spanking me and Pierce? I totally. I was like, dude, I told you not to cut that baseboard like that. But no. We were, Are you guys was, listening to me at all? <laughs> yeah, no. There was someone, uh, you guys were in the room with, we were all eating, and there was someone that was just not listening to what we were saying in terms of, he was over there helping, not really helping us, just talking to us about life stuff, and we've mm-hmm. been counseling him for years. And I just like, I, I, I kind of cussed him out, I think, in the room. It was just like, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what exactly what I said, but it was more colorful than I would normally talk mm-hmm. yeah and i'm sure if someone had just been listening in they're like gosh micah is just <laughs> yeah like uh, yeah. angry or something i wasn't it was that he wasn't he wasn't listening the other ways and it was that one time when i needed to be like listen yeah mm-hmm. and so it wasn't it wasn't a punishment it was i'm sure it didn't seem like it was born out of love <laughs> if you're outside looking you know what i'm saying but like yeah, it yeah, was yeah. intended like for me for example you will know that i'm done with somebody when i stop talking mm-hmm. yeah that's like, oh, all right, I'm done. Yeah, yeah. If I'm still talking, then it's still, uh, my intention is to be a benefit and help in any way I can. Yeah. The moment I go silent, then it's, it's real bad. But like, I, so again, from the beginning, I think people's perception of those things can't shape what it actually is. Like no. if, if your perspective, perspective as a millennial is spanking is wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're kind of setting a law standard here. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily true. Yeah. Maybe every single experience you've had of spanking was wrong, was wrong. Yeah. I'm not negating yeah. that. I'm just saying like, don't make rules yeah. based on your experience. I have no problem saying I don't want to spank. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But, but let the just goal, the standard, let yeah. the goal be, I'm going to lovingly discipline my kids with an intention mm-hmm. of shaping them in a certain way where they will honor yeah. Jesus with their life. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's, if you, all of that to say, you go back to the premise of love, it kind of affects everything. It does, mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. Because because our aim for the people around us, first of all, our, our understanding of the people around us is that every person that we're coming in contact with is a soul for whom Christ shed his blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that God demonstrated his love towards sinners, that while they were still sinners, Christ died. Mm-hmm. And 
And then the second thing is that particularly those people that are people of faith, that they are sharing the same benefits we're sharing. They're yeah. standing before God righteous. They're standing before God same holy spirit. and forgiven. Same spirit, same Lord, same baptism, same faith. And so it, for us to view them through the lens of their failures and successes, um, not that you never have a conversation with them, not that you don't ever talk to them, but we have to, in the, even in the midst of addressing their their sinful failures, we have to address them from the perspective of this is who you are in Christ yeah. mm-hmm. and you are loved by God. Yeah. And we have to be able to reflect that in a way that it communicates like Paul to Peter in Galatians where he rebuked him in front of everybody, yeah. but still with the purpose of like the gospel matters. We don't, and, we don't now say, you know what? We shouldn't listen to anything that Peter wrote because no. yeah, exactly. I can't, yeah. I can't imagine, you imagine a, a teacher for kids like at church being like, All right, I'm going to tell you this story about this guy named David. He's awesome dude, you know, slay the giant. Um, but actually we can't listen to anything the Bible says about him because of his adultery. Was yeah. yeah. It's, it's, you have to approach it from the perspective yeah. of, of love. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think once we come to the place where, again, I still think it begins with us believing that we are loved by God. Yeah. Like once that really takes root in your heart, cause let's be honest, most of us, most of us, and you talked about this before too, Micah, if, if my father had been perfect, uh, perfect father, and my goal for my wife and kids is to emulate my father, that's still the wrong goal. Yep. So most of us shape our, the way we love others based on our environment growing up. And we are either trying to emulate that or we're trying to uh, do the opposite of that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And both are wrong. Yeah. Because until we come to the place where we go, the God of heaven loves me. Mm-hmm. And here's what it means that the God of heaven loves me. Until we come to that place and let that be the the wellspring for who we are, we will never be loving the people around us correctly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you could, that's when you can actually learn. When you come to a place where you understand who you are, that God loves yeah. you and that he loves other people, that's when you can learn from those experiences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But because if not, then I feel like it shapes your perspective of love. Sure. But like if you could, you could know, I'm assuming you got spanked. Yeah. Uh, you could know. For a little while. You could know who you are in Christ and go, you know what? That was probably not the best way. The way that it was done was probably not the best way to go. Yeah. So, it. so my mom or my dad would spank until they were not angry anymore. So like there, you know what I mean? Like it was just, we usually call that a beating. <laughs> yeah. And, and so with my boys, uh, my philosophy was a little bit different, of course, because at this point it was reactionary, mm-hmm. but there were one SWAT infractions, two SWAT infractions. And- <laughs> it's so structured. It's so structured. <laughs> and, and, uh, Three SWAT infractions, you know, and are we talking about fly swatter SWAT or the game? <laughs> but like and and I think only one time did one of them get a three SWAT infraction, and that was really like um that depended a lot on how they treated Michelle. Mm-hmm. And uh and so but uh wait, is it did they did it like add up like a one strike, two strike, three strikes as well? No. Okay. No. So, but it was, it was one of those things that it was just like, there came a point that for us, that that was not the most effective way of yeah. discipline. There you go. Yeah. And, and so like when they were really little, you'd, you'd swat their hand, not even hard enough, just enough to catch their attention almost, you know, like don't mm-hmm. do that. And, uh, and so, I mean, but one of the things that I would always do is I would explain to them, look, like, uh, this does not change how I feel about you. And I was like, but we, one of the, one of the things that I'm convinced of, I was, I had somebody responded to a post that Pierce commented on the other day or sent mm-hmm. me a text and I had done this post about parenting or whatever. And I got some funny comments and Pierce sent me some text messages like, what in the world are these people saying? <laughs> uh, but one of them was saying that we have to give our kids the law until they put faith in Jesus. And I think that's the wrong approach. I think that might be the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> I think we show our kids the gospel so that the Wait, standard will what always they be the mean, gospel. The law. They, they said until they come to the place where they're no able to bacon choose cheeseburgers, no, no grilled shrimp. <laughs> well, they just mean, they mean you have to, you have to be the force of the law for them until they have the Holy spirit. Oh, they didn't mean the mosaic law. No. And, Wait, the, the, the law is the tutor. Yeah. Yeah, not, until Christ comes, until Christ comes, yeah, and then Christ already came. I know, but it's like I'm, I'm pointing out that it's a misconstruing of the text. Yeah. So, so one of the things that that I would do with the boys is I would just like 
I would say to the boys when they were really little, I was like, listen, this doesn't change how I feel about you. And I was like, but, and I would talk to them as though they were believers before they were believers. And I would say, here's who God is and here's what discipline looks like. And here's why I'm doing this. And, and then I would, I'd give them a swat and then I'd hug them until they were okay. You know, uh, Riker wasn't very affectionate. He didn't like being hugged, but, but <laughs> Asher, that was very helpful for when he was yeah. really little. And, and so, and I would just let them know, look, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not, I'm not mad at you. And, and I would talk to them very plainly about why we were doing what we were doing. Um, that, that was not my experience growing up. I was getting yelled at and then the wooden spoon would come out. And, and until, until I would show sufficient sorrow in however I needed to do that, it wouldn't stop. Mm-hmm. And, and so like, it just was my dad and Haley, when she was little, my dad and he was drinking a lot back then but he'd get mad at her a time or two and because her hair would be tangled and my mom would be brushing her hair and a couple of times he'd grab the brush out of my mom's hand and break it on Haley's back Mm. um and uh and so things like that like you know just he yeah and just swing it so hard and just snap that Mm -hmm. brush um and and so there were things like that you know and so wow not love you know, and uh, not the aim that this kid would. My guess is that most people who interact with their kids like that are doing it based on how they were taught. Oh, sure. And it's never done out of love, like no. from that perspective. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's it, disgusting. Everything, everything that is not done from the love that God has mm-hmm. has no value. I'm going to mm-hmm. take us back to First Corinthians 13. Yeah. It has no value, mm-hmm. even if, and this is very an important, this is a, an important note, even if the thing you're doing is a good thing. Mm-hmm. So, because the example yeah. in first Corinthians 13 is you're using your spiritual gifts, but you're not using your spiritual gifts from the perspective love. of love. Yeah. So your spiritual gift then has no value. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so even if the thing you're doing has good intent behind it, but it does not have love in it, then it's, it's no value at all. Mm-hmm. I think there'd probably be a lot of people who are like, okay, what does that look like? I know. And I think that's the wrong question to ask. I think the question you should ask is what do I think about who I am? Like you're saying, Ryan, mm-hmm. first understand God's love for me mm-hmm. and then his love for other people and let that be the barometer. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't think you could say, here's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. I think you could say, here's what it doesn't look like yeah, in yeah. some situations, but I don't think you could even then make a standard for that. Mm-hmm. But I think if, if our, if our perspective was, I know who I am in Christ. I understand God's love for me and his love for other people. Maybe even specifically here, the other believers that should shape how you interact with those people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the love perspective that actually shapes it. And let's not get to a place where we like judge other people's love of, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I think if we're honest, probably most people have a jacked up perspective of love. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we do. I I think, I think honestly, let's like really awesome parents or really bad parents or parents who tried really hard, but didn't know how to do it. Or, mm-hmm. or the first time you got your heart broken in seventh grade or the first time, like, let's be really honest. The f- first time you convinced yourself that you were having sex with this person because it was love or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like there are so many things that shape mm-hmm. what we think love is like yeah. so many things. Um, you know, like whether it's a juvenile, uh, thing like Bambi, where you're like, man, I was Twitter pated or whether it's, uh, <laughs> you know, or what you remember that no. <laughs> from the original movie Bambi, like when he fell in, in the it. spring, all the animals were Twitter pated and it just, that's What's what that it, means. That's like, when they fell in love. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So, but, but all of us have perspectives of love, right? And, yes. and it's shaped by all these different facets and all this heartbreak. And for some people, Romeo and Juliet, like spoke to them of, you know, forlorn love and for other, like, you know what I'm saying? Like we have all these things that shape us. The unfortunate thing is by the time we have grown mature enough to come to the place where we want God to shape how we view love, it is competing with all these other ideas that we've already laid as foundation. Well, maybe the problem is that we view those other things as love. Yeah. Like not negating the emotions of those things, but why are we defining that as love? Mm -hmm. We are because until we're, until we're shaped by Christ, it's what we've been taught love is. Uh, That's that's what I mean. I I think it's a lie of the enemy. Oh, a hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. But it doesn't change the fact that people are attaching love to those images and those things and those feelings. Right. So 
you grow up with that being the expectation until you come to the place where you really understand the cross and really understand the nature of Jesus. And then you okay. go, um, oh, and now that the, the love that God has for us through Christ is in competition and it shouldn't be in competition, mm -hmm. but it is in competition with all these other things you have floating around in the back of your head. And you're trying to juggle them all instead of yep. putting all those other things out and holding fast just to the love of Christ. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. All the other things have to fall by the wayside because yep. none of them can be the standard for right. love. Or all those things have to, I think, to fall like under the umbrella, if you will, of my understanding of, of how God yeah, loves they, me. Yeah, they have to come into conformity with the love of yep. Christ. Yep, yeah, yep. They, because they begin to change. It's not like they go away, but it's like you... The, the wrong perceptions The do. wrong perceptions do. Yeah, yep. I'm, I'm talking about the like relationships. Yeah, like the relational things. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I have a whole lot of other thoughts, but I think that would take forever. So, Forever is a long time. Yeah, I'm really hungry. Yeah, I know, right? I know. Me too. I got a um, headache now. Didn't yeah. have those plantain chips. Yeah, the uh, so based off like the last few weeks, we did a couple weeks kind of on faith, living by the spirit, walking out faith. Last week on hope, the return of Christ, and this week on love. And it's the core of kind of this little what turned out to be a little mini series thing is based off of who God is and who God has made us to be through Christ. Um, we, for lack of a better way of saying it, like act and respond accordingly. Mm -hmm. And so because we are people who are made new and, and, and given the power of the Holy Spirit and our perspective is shaped, excuse me, shifted from ourselves to God, we therefore are enabled and, and empowered to walk by the spirit and live by faith. Um, because we know the story, we, we know that Christ is returning. We know that all things are made new in him. We know that our future and our eternity is secure in him. We can respond and, and react within this world um, with, with security and joy yep. and, and the fact of knowing and our, with hope, with our hope resting in who Christ is. And so now with understanding who, again, who God is and how he loves and how he has loved us, we are therefore empowered and, and able to to love others. May it be more more intimate uh, at our home or with our closer friends, or may it be with the lost people of the lost. Like we 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 it's we can't give a one hundred percent step by step. Here's what that looks like in every scenario, but we do know that the core of it comes from and stems from who God is and how He loves, yeah, and how He has shown love. Yeah. And because we are given the Holy Spirit, because we've been made new, because we are His children. We have insight into that love. Yep. That was one of the things I talked about um, at uh, a school Bible study a few weeks back was just like, we're talking about the love of God and how too often we measure it. We measure it a certain way and how, how hard it is to feel that we can love other people. And I was like, hey guys, like the only person that, like take a second and think about, think about the worst thing you've done. Like what comes to mind? Um, and I was like, the only person that knows, the only person that knows you better than you is God. Like mm -hmm. everybody in this room, you know the deep, dark things you've done in your life. I said, Christ loved you in spite of that, mm. in spite of that. Like, and, and some of you might be honest and be like, I wouldn't even love me if I did, if I did, if I did that. Right. <laughs> like it's hard. It's like you get really in your head with that, but like, you know, the deepest, darkest thing in Christ shined light in that as well. And so like, we know what unconditional love looks like. Why do we so often try to strap on worldly standards of what love can be whenever we know the simplicity and the beauty of God's unconditional love and grace shown through his, uh, shown through, through, through Jesus Christ and Christ's sacrifice yep. and Christ's victory. So um, we've been empowered by this Holy Spirit. We've been empowered by knowledge. We've been empowered by experience. We've been empowered by all these things because Christ has saved us, because Christ has changed us. And so we can, we can uh, lean into it to continue language as well. We can lean into the reality of who we are in him, we lean into the power of the Holy Spirit, lean into the hope that we have, lean into um, the ability now that we have to love our brothers and sisters in Christ and the lost in this world. So, um, I'm excited for for my brothers and sisters in Christ to do that, to take advantage of that, to to lean into it, to uphold it. So, um, you guys have simpler simpler view of love, Micah. Yeah, don't let your perspective of love be shaped by you or other people. Mm -hmm. Let it be shaped by God. Mm -hmm. Don't let your perspective of love be shaped by you or other people. Be shaped by God. Don't be a jack wagon. Don't be a jack wagon, right? That can be every week. <laughs> yeah, who my favorite jack wagon is. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Steven, I am so Steven. sorry. Dude. I'm sorry he's uh, taking shots at you. Wait, like well, that. we decided what the definition that means he has the chuck wagon at the end of the line. Yeah, he's basically the guy that's getting all the crap and all the dirt, and yeah. he's not skilled to do anything else. Wow. Well, Steven. Wow, Pierce. <laughs> wow, Pierce. Wow, Pierce. <laughs> that doesn't sound very loving. Oh, man. <laughs> 
with Steven <laughs> at the Garden Audio, as always. The reason why the sound good sounds good. The reason why uh, the studio um, looks as good as it does is because Steven puts puts time and effort into into the quality of what we're doing here at Simpler. And so Steven's awesome. Wherever you are, um, go, head over to Instagram and just and just comment on on one of our posts and say Steven's the best. So just just to show Steven some love. And hey, while you're over there, give give him and his wife's realty team a follow at eighty seven Realty Group. If you're in the San Angel area, they post a lot about what's going on here in town, but they also post a lot about just just, just realty in general as well as their own lives. And so uh, it's cool to see them as a team and a dynamic as a business, but also them as a family. And so if you if you're interested in that, go give them a follow. Uh, if it doesn't, if you don't want to give them a follow, shoot them a message, shoot them a comment, and just say how much you appreciate Simpler. Uh, and within within this garden audio, within the garden audio as well, here at the studio, uh, Micah and Stephen have started on Simpler Worship. And so, if you want updates on that, go follow Micah on social media at Micah Mariano on Instagram. Uh, you'll see you'll see insight into what's going on with Simpler Worship and how that's coming to fruition. I know Stephen is super excited about it, so it's cool to see them them work together uh, more intently and bring that bring that to life. And um, and speaking of Simpler stuff, other Simpler things, we got Simpler Bible as well. Go go to the link in the show notes. You can see uh, what Ryan and Colin are doing in in producing and pumping out um, daily videos for spiritual growth and seeing and coming to know God and coming to know the scriptures in a much more simple way. And so they'll be walking through the entirety of the scripture this year um, and and going from the Bible. It's not detailed walk through chapter by chapter, but covering the entire story of the scripture and how we see God work and how we see God move. So go give them a follow on, subscribe on YouTube, follow along on social media, definitely do all those things. Everything, like I said, is tagged in the show notes below. While you're over there, give us a follow. Um, the OG Simpler, am I right? That's right. And, uh, and, and see what we got going on on social media. Share the post, do all those things. We love seeing the Simpler community grow. We love seeing them grow, not, not only in numbers and in and, and size, but also just literal growth, like being able to partake in the things of God and live a life that is just bent upon Christ and, and how much more simple that can be. And hey, as always, keep Christ's core. What could be simpler than that? Catch y'all in March. Bye.